Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Frank Lampard of the podcast, just an all-around horrible guy. But seriously though, I'm nothing like Frank Lampard. And today I'm joined by the inevitable Stuart Dallas injury of the podcast, Jacob Stambridge. We've been expecting it for four years and finally it's here. And finally... <laughs> They're getting embarrassed by Everton of the podcast. We didn't think we had it in us. It's Adam. Adam, how are you doing? I'm about as gloomy as the weather in Leeds, to be honest, today. But, you know, I'm good to be here. And hope you're well too, John. I don't get to say that very often because it's normally Jacob's <laughs> role. Yeah, I know. Jacob's had his thunder stolen here. But Jacob, how are you? I'm all right. Been able to get the results sort of out of my head a bit, which is uh, which is nice. And, uh, yeah, ready here to, to talk about it. But I do notice, John, you didn't actually answer Adam's question. So, how are you? I'm Zen, I think, at the moment. I've been doing a little bit of thinking about the possibility of relegation because everyone seems to think it's an inevitability. And um, I just think we'll get to it later on, actually. But when you actually look at the maths, there's the odds are definitely in our favour. So I'm feeling pretty, pretty Zen about things. Speaking of feeling Zen, I should talk to you guys a little bit about the Patreon channel that we have. For those of you who don't know what Patreon is, it's a platform which allows us to share content with subscribers and we put a load of bonus material up on there, both podcast and video content as well. I'm currently running a series on the potential Bielsa successors, which has been boosted recently by the news being leaked from the club of potential successors, which gives me a little bit of an easier task. So once I've got through this current video that I'm working on, on Marcelo Gajardo, who is the manager of River Plate in Argentina, I'll then start moving through some of those managers that were mentioned in the Daily Telegraph this week. If I may add as well, um, John and Josh's recent Authors List podcast, um, which takes a look at sort of the bigger picture of the squad building and, and the transfer window, um, they put one out quite recently and I thought that was really, really interesting and very thought-provoking about 
thinking about us in a like I say in a big bigger picture sense. Can I also just add the Discord? You also will get added to, which has really, really been popping off recently, and it's a good community to be involved with. There's a lot of good people in there, and, and a shout out to quite a lot of them because I'm not going to name them all, but they're, it's a it's a really good place to be at the moment. And I probably use that more than Twitter these days to get my my Leeds United fix, really. So I would say mm. another good reason to join is just to be involved in that community. So if that sounds interesting to you, then head over to our Patreon channel, which is www.patreon.com forward slash allstats, aren't we? Anyway, we're not here to talk about Patreon. We're here to talk about Leeds United losing to Everton. Great. <laughs> Let's just jump in with the, the game summary. Obviously, 3-0 loss to Everton. Statsbomb had the XG down as 2.1 XG for Everton to 0.3 XG to Leeds, which is pretty catastrophic in a lot of respects. Big surprise from Everton in that they came out in a 4-4-2 instead of the 3-4-3 we expected and probably even expected once the line-out had, uh, had dropped. But... Normally, there wasn't too much of an issue segueing our own 4-4-2 into a 3-3-1-3 by dropping Robin Cock back. We'll have a conversation in this podcast at some point about the midfield personnel that we went with. But in terms of the structure, it wasn't too much of an, an issue to make that change. We lost Stuart Dallas early on with the most telegraphed injury of all time, given that Dallas has been playing through injury a lot this season. Uh, and that saw Leo Yelda come on in his place. In the first half, we saw as thorough a dismantling of Leeds as we've seen this season. Out of possession, Everton played in almost a 4-2-4 with their wide players pushing right up onto the Leeds wing-backs and pinning us into our own half for long stretches of the game. In possession, Frank Lampard has really perfected the art of causing Leeds problems by just getting players to drive forward, uh, bringing their markers with them so that even if the ball's turned over, there's only a few outlets up the field to hit in transition. And they just ground away all of the half and, and picked up two goals for their trouble. In the second half, Forshaw and Roberts were brought on for Click and Rafinha respectively with Dan James moving to the right wing and Roberts going up front. Everton were a little less aggressive in the half. They slowed the game down and they looked to overload in wide areas to stop Leeds from building up and also they just sort of ran down the clock. And a late deflected Gordon goal from a Richarlison shot capped off the game for them. So yeah, lots of misery there. Uh, but hopefully we can do our best to to try and talk about some of the interesting things that were going on there. So, without further ado, let's move on to the interrogation. So this is the interrogation. This is the part of the show where I ask the guys a couple of questions about the game itself to try and get to the heart of what was going on. So, let's just jump in. Um, so, we will start with Jacob and question one. Do you think we'll see more managers switch formations to play Leeds, seeing as how we've struggled when this has happened? And uh, it's happened also this season with, I think, Graham Potter, the, the standout example there, insofar as he had played a back three the whole season until he played us, and then he switched to a 4-2-3-1 and obviously gave us problems. So, Jacob, what's your take on this? I absolutely uh, do think that that's quite likely. I think that we, we saw that a bit with some smart managers last season as well. And even with some managers and analysis teams not being as ahead of the curve as others, I think people are likely to follow trends once those trends are being established. And there are now, I think, several well-established blueprints for causing us quite a lot of difficulty. And last last night's game was a I think a quite good example of of one of those ways to play against us and it I don't really feel like we're demonstrating lots of good ways to be able to address the issues that those those approaches cause us and so I think that it, it is a pretty smart thing for people to be doing and not just not just because it can impact us in terms of how we normally play but also it 
skews our prep for the games as well. I mean, we we talked quite a lot. Uh, obviously, we're not the club, but we talked a lot about playing against like a three four three or or a three five two or something that Everton might play, and it then ended up being this four four two shape. And I know Bielsa in the post match press conference said that he it wasn't unexpected that Everton might play a four four two, but. I, to be honest, I'm quite unsure whether that's really how he had expected them to play, given that he was prepared to move Koch down into into centre-back and then put Click in that position. And obviously that's something that we may continue to talk about later on, but Click in that in that role, did, did just, it didn't suit him whatsoever. And again, echoed by Bielsa in the press conference. But if that was something that he was really expecting, would he have picked a team where that's what would have happened? I, I can't help but think if you think that that's something that you would do, I, I just don't see why you wouldn't pick Adam Forshaw in that starting eleven. Yeah, and I guess if the worst came to the worst in that situation, you then just made that substitution at half time, and you think, well, okay, maybe we won't be the most um, attacking and progressive team in the first half, but that doesn't matter as long as we get to the second half and we're still in the game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with retaining players on the substitute bench who may offer a more specialised tactical role. I've said this quite a lot in the past about about Rodrigo, although I think he's played relatively well in, in recent games. I do think he can offer us a lot off the bench as a substitute um, for doing certain things that we don't typically do. And I, th- I think you're absolutely right to say it, that that's what should have happened in this game. We should have gone with the more generic option almost in, in foreshore which could have worked in terms of midfield balance if we were playing a 4-3-3 and could have functioned better in this in this role if what actually happened happened and then changed it if we needed to. Uh, Adam, I'll come to you. What's your general take on this? And particularly like maybe focus on the prep side of things because I think that's the interesting that's the interesting one because I think prepping for a game, you obviously we obviously know that Bielsa runs through these 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 sorts of prep in in quite meticulous detail um and will be aiming for certain things to to be um to to be to be done in terms of like the attacking routes that they're aiming for, et cetera, et cetera. What impact do you think it will have if Leeds have spent most of the week working on playing against a three-four-three, and then it ends up being very different insofar as you know you don't have your your two strikers, you don't have your your uh, your back three um, that you're expect or your back four that you're expecting, and have to switch it to a back three. How do you think that will impact this sort of uh, game? Yeah, I think it definitely will throw us off. Obviously, that, that's the obvious part. But you'd hope that at least in training we do do our homework and we do sort of have the idea of switching from formation to formation with the same players quite fluidly, quite easily. But it doesn't seem to to always work in theory in the game as well. I just think that this season we've we've played Everton and Southampton as probably our two worst performances, and in, on both occasions they played a four four two and they pressed us nice and high. They've really pinned the fullback and it's we've played really badly in both games like obviously but it's really thrown us off and we've never really been able to create much I think the XG kind of shows just how bad we were yesterday 0.3 is one of the lowest of the season isn't it I can't remember if it is the lowest but it's it's right up there um, so yeah no it definitely will throw us off um, and, and it'd be nice to see how we could sort of translate across formations and maybe it's just personnel wise I agree with Jacob completely about Forshaw I think he maybe makes that transition easier if, if we're going from a 4-4-2 to a three three one three, 
I think he's obviously more specialised in that holding role uh, that Click played. He's played there a couple of times in his Leeds career. Aston Villa away last season being one that springs to mind, but he's not done it very often. So it's definitely a thing we've we've noticed this season. We struggle against teams that press us high. And I, I think back to games like Wolves and Leicester where we weren't pressed quite as high and we had a little bit more joy. They were both at Ellen Road, sure, and the crowd might have, have been a factor in that. But it's particularly in, in the uh, Southampton and Everton games that I've noticed that when teams really come out with an intelligent press and, and press us high up the pitch and, and basically don't allow Ailing to get forward very often when he was playing as a wing back then that doesn't help Listening to you talk there it does make me think that we knew that Everton were going to have issues fielding enough centre-backs um, and so I think that Bielsa must have been thinking there's a possibility they'll go with a back four exactly. and I think if if they do that then they have to go for a sort of 4-4-2 four, four, so there must have been the the awareness that that, that could happen uh, and perhaps that that just sort of comes down to a question that I think we'll talk about a little bit more in detail in in a future question in this interrogation which is um, the, the 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 issues that Leeds have playing against as you've said, four four twos in a fairly high uh, configuration. But let's just talk firstly, Adam, about where you think it went wrong in the first half. So the question too, where where did it go wrong in the first half? The first half is a weird one because although I think their pressing was was good and it was high, it was also a lot of unenforced errors from us that weren't necessarily to do with them pressing us. It was just sloppiness, just general 10-15 yard passes going wrong, going out of play when we had a chance to build. Sometimes we actually got the ball quite nicely into midfield and then it would just all fall apart. A, a simple pass to Rafinha would just go out of play or or something like that. There, there were other times when we had options to pass the ball to better options and we didn't always choose them. And and I just think it wasn't necessarily just Everton's game plan. I think it was just a lot of players didn't play at their best. And I think I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but Tyler Roberts came on in the second half. And again, he was the uh, the whipping boy on, on social media. And it really frustrated me because having watched it back across the two 45s, there were definitely worse players that had a longer impact on that game than Tyler Roberts that deserve a lot more, you know, stick or whatever you want to call it. You know, there were, there were a lot of bad performances out there. Jack Harrison in particular consistently gave the ball away. He had a really off day and got into good areas and, and we got into good territory at times, but then the ball just wasn't right. It wasn't always there and a lot of decision making was poor as well. But um, some of it was, yeah, definitely Everton's pressing and, and Van der Beek wasn't always being picked up. Um, I thought Calvert-Lewin was pretty good, even though he didn't score. So there was quite a lot that went wrong. Um, we were a little bit better in the second, as as you say, but the first, no, it was just, yeah, it was just a bad performance from us, as well as Everton playing well. Jacob, what's your take? I think what I would say is that we very much played into Everton's game plan. I, I don't think that, and I'll just sort of, build on that in a second but I don't think that we did enough in the first half to disrupt what they were trying to do and they were trying to get us to do I think the way that they set out their press reminded me very much of the Burnley game in against against Turf Moor at Turf Moor at the start of the season where um, it was sort of a asymmetric 4-4-2 with the intention of forcing us to go out to our out to our wing backs and then they were just fall a number of men onto us and throttle us out wide there and I, I i was on the review podcast for that episode for, for, the, for that match as well and i remember thinking in that game and then seeing it again in this one that what we really needed was more support for our players out wide or options to go into into central spaces and that those just weren't being provided um 
there weren't very many of the sort of the combination moves or some of the automations that we're used to seeing to help us progress play through the thirds, um, be that out wide or by moving the ball into the middle. And um, then the, the the byproduct of the, the high press, uh, as, as has been mentioned, is that we're forced into rash decisions quite quickly and quite a lot of times the ball is getting knocked knocked forward and Dan James is not the kind of player who's going to contest aerial balls. Um, so yeah, that, that, that I guess is sort of what I'm, what I look at is that we did what Everton wanted us to do. It's weird because obviously going and building out wide is what we like to do. It's as part of our game plan, but when it's weaponized by the other team, we have to be able to try and do something a bit different. I think about Man City last season, um, at Ellen Road, Ellen, excuse me, at Ellen Road, where we were under a lot of high pressure early on, but then we dropped Matthias Click back alongside Calvin Phillips to help give another option to relieve that pressure. I don't really think we did something quite like that, anything like that today. Ch- like ch- chain challenged what they were doing, and so that that's sort of what where I'm at. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think watching the game back and, and looking at the press, I think that the, I think their press was really good. Mm. I have been watching a lot of different managers as they set up presses and I think that was as good a press as we've seen in in, in terms of it being a sort of high-ish mid-block um, that, that caused Leeds problems and I think what we've seen this season I think a lot of people talk about playing against 4-4-2s but I think whenever we come up against a team who play a front four and press uh, pretty well as a front four against us it causes problems so we've seen Arsenal do that as well um, and Arsenal have done it against obviously a back four rather than a back five in this sense, but it still causes uh, huge amounts of problems. And I think in the first half, we could barely get out of our own half. And that was because Everton were able to just manipulate us into certain areas, press us hard, cause us to panic, and and the ball was turned over. And so uh, whilst I do hear people saying, yeah, you know, our team, we we should have done better. We we should have been finding passes that were on. I, I do think that Part of the, the the sort of edge of Bielsa Ball is that the system allows players time to make decisions, and I think any any team that can enforce a press on us that stops us from being able to move the ball easily is going to cause us problems because the whole point of of Bielsa's system is to afford players who maybe aren't quite as technically quality as 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 other Premier League players just affords them the time to be able to to be able to move the ball around so um, I definitely thought the the, the first half was was good in terms of the pressing and the other thing I would say is that I mentioned it in the intro but the um the ability of Lampard to cause problems in possession without really looking tactically smart, and I think that what what if particularly watching the first half back, what I noticed is is that whenever Everton got the ball back and they turned it over, they were happy to just move forward as a unit, and I think that's just a very counterintuitive way of playing for most managers because I think most managers will think about something like a rest defense which is thinking okay if we're going to go forward here as a group and we don't and we don't leave any cover at the back we could get countered on here but I think what what Lampard has recognized is that if you pull forward as a unit against Leeds the man markers have to track back with you and so it, it means that you're automatically causing Leeds to be in a more defensive iteration and so a lot of the time when Everton were getting the ball Everton would go forward in numbers and it would pull Leeds back. And even if Leeds turned the ball over, they then didn't have much to aim for in terms of outballs. And it was either, you know, Dan James or Rodrigo usually, which is, again, it's not going to be the most effective way of counter-attacking. So that's the, the, the two things that I thought went really well in, 
in the first half for Evan. Anyway, Jacob, what did you make of the half-time substitutions and did you think they should have come earlier? I mean, we've touched on this a little bit, so I don't think we need to get into it too much, but the, the, the half-time substitutions were obviously bringing Forshaw on. Uh, I think that's the big one. Um, and the, I, I suppose the question is, as soon as we realised that Everton were playing a full four two, should we have then switched up the personnel? I think we probably should have done. Um, I, I just, but just based on how little we were able to involve Click, click in in the game effectively from where he was. So I just think it we, we may as well have just gone with it straight away. And to be honest, I also kind of think that we could have done with Roberts in the first half as well. Um, just as we were just talking about, Dan James being that solo outlet is 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 not really going to bring us much fruit. And whilst I'm not here to say that Roberts would have done loads of things on his own. The one thing I think he would have done better would have been as an aerial presence for those out balls. But by the time he came on in in the start of the second half, I'm not then sure whether he was necessarily the right player to bring on. I don't really think he had much of a material impact in the second half when Everton were a bit more sat back and um, a bit more comfortable. I think by then it was the time to maybe consider bringing on Gelhart rather than Roberts. But I do think in the first half he could have offered something and it's it's a shame maybe that we had to use a substitution on Dallas to stop us from having a bit more tactical flexibility. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing about Dallas. It left us a bit shorthanded with him going off so early. It did leave us a man lighter in substitution terms, uh, which would have been nice to have. I think for me with substitutions, uh, I'm not too fussed about Roberts coming on. I do think I actually disagree with you a little bit, Jacob. I think he was probably one of the right players to bring on purely for the for the reasons you stated, actually, with um, just giving us a bit more of an outball, someone for it to stick to a little bit better up front. But also, I think Forshaw should have come on within 20, 25 minutes of the game. Um, definitely don't think he came on early enough. Um, at 1-0, it's still salvageable, isn't it? And at 2-0, it felt a lot less, especially with their crowd particularly bouncing at that point. For me, the worst thing really was bringing off Rafinha, even if he'd had what some might call a stinker. and He was really, really poor in the game. He's still one of the players that you think has that moment where he might do something. So I don't really understand Bielsa taking him off. I, I don't think he was any worse than Harrison, for example. So I couldn't quite understand that when it became clear it was a tactical decision and not a, an enforcement through an injury. Um, so that's probably the one thing I would I would have done differently. And obviously having to take off Dallas was just unfortunate. But yeah, Rafinha was the thing I would have done, done differently. I would have taken someone else off, probably Harrison. Uh, so question for whenever we lose these sorts of games... I think we see a lot of questions on our Twitter account about the ineffectiveness of the 3-3-1-3 or the impact of opponents playing a front two against us or the problems with the back three or whatever you want to call it. Do you think there's anything in this criticism, Adam? And if yes, why do you think it happens? Can I turn this around on you? Because you've done some research on this this morning and actually you've got some good stats for us, I think. I just had a look this season and um, we've only actually lost once against uh, when we were playing a back three um, and that was against Southampton, which obviously I think there are correlates as we've suggested between the Everton game. But we've yeah we've, we've drawn and, and won games where we've played uh, a back three. Uh, we, we beat Norwich playing 3-5-2, which obviously is a different structure, different iteration. Um, so maybe people wouldn't care so much about that. But again, that's it. That is a game where we played against a, a strike uh, duo and uh, we we built up in a in a back three formation as well. So I do think that people over egg this. I think there's probably an element of 
confirmation bias here, which is that, as you've said, the issue isn't necessarily the structure, it's more the way that teams play in that structure. Um, so, for example, we obviously we played against Burnley in the, at the beginning of the season, and they played quite well against us in that 4-4-2, um, as Jacob suggested, but we obviously played them again recently, and they played very badly in that 4-4-2. Now, there are caveats for that, because they obviously had the issues of COVID, uh, I, I think, that that that's slowed their season right down and caused them problems. But uh, again, that's a, a, another example of a, of a game where we played uh, in the three three one three, and it was okay. We got the result. So um, I think that I, I do think that that needs to be the caveat that you have um, that we don't always play badly in a in a in a three three one three. Now, obviously. A lot of the teams who are going to be playing four four two are going to be probably teams that you would expect to beat. So I think people would have expected us to beat uh, Everton yesterday. I think people would have expected us to beat Southampton. Uh, people ex- would expect us to beat Burnley. So you have to take that into account. But um, yeah, I, I do think that that maybe a lot of that criticism is, is overegged. But in terms of the, the the two things here, so one of them is, I mean, I guess the, the, the thing comes down to right. If you play against two strikers, Bielsa is always going to have a player covering um as a as a free marker and that means that you're playing as a back three um i don't think that we suffer defensively from that i don't think that there's any issues with us having three at the back in in defensive situations so the the big question is in build up why do we think that we don't look as good building up in a back three do we think it's because of structural issues or do you think it's because of personnel issues um i suppose so how would you answer that adam I'd probably say it's a mixture. I think what you said earlier about preparation is probably part of this as well. I think if you know you're going into the game as a 3-3-1-3, it's probably a little bit better than if you are almost forced into changing to it as well. I think to yesterday it's definitely personnel more than it is structure um, because I think for sure and possibly a better right wing back option, someone better on the ball would make us build up a little bit better. So that would definitely be be one of them. Um, but I, I also agree with you. I don't think it's necessarily a huge issue the 3313 um as a system and like you said we've actually won some games playing it so i think it maybe is just down to whether we know whether starting with it or if we have to switch to it and, and if we have to switch to it maybe it is about oh if it's going wrong we make early substitutions like for sure and try and change things up jacob you must have thoughts on this i very much agree with what what you raised um john and, and that's the first thing I noted down when looking at this question is the, the importance of not just the system, but the, the game state and, and the approach that the opposition team takes. And like you rightly pointed out, Arsenal pressed us very well with a front four, even though we weren't playing 3-3-1-3 in that game. What I would say, though, is I think that probably when we are pressed or under a lot of pressure that in a 3-3-1-3, that the issues are maybe even more exacerbated because I think by having an extra player in the first line who is not in front of the ball you you lose this you lose an option in terms of someone who might be able to make a run or a movement that disrupts the the pressing structure and you, you just yeah you just have one, one fewer option really because they're just right to your left and right they're, they're not making that much difference to to the player on the ball um and with regard to then your question that you posed partway through i think there's definitely a point about personnel to be made where people can end up getting moved into positions in uh, just like mid mid play that don't suit them so well so for an example here would be using Diego Urente as that that sort of pushing on right-sided center back where Ailing has done that quite effectively a number of times in the past but 
we don't get that same upside when Llorente is the one trying to do it. I remember a, a moment about 20 minutes into the game where Ailing has the ball on the, on the right flank and he's he, the camera's sort of on him quite closely and, you, and he's just gesturing to Llorente to try and get him up the pitch to come and be that option that we don't have from a number eight dropping in to facilitate the, the build up out wide because the number eights just aren't there. Um, the last thing I'll just pose is that it was mentioned on the Discord last night that it could could there be a possibility of the centre centre back pushing up um, when we when we're possessing the ball in order to ha- allow the two number eights to do what they do a bit more naturally and I, I do think that there could be some benefit to that because otherwise you'll you'll you've got your your one defensive midfielder who's not really able to go too far wide because they've got to make sure that the centre is still um, plugged to some extent from counter-attacks and then it all falls on the one attacking midfielder and I don't think it's as much necessarily Rodrigo's game to support attacks out wide so much but I do want to come on to Rodrigo later and I do think there were some benefits to him staying central as well but it does mean that we just have less support out wide. For sure is obviously in terms of our midfielders he's one of the most pressure resistant players we have in our entire squad to be honest so if we are going to be pressed the way we were yesterday and in other games this season like Southampton is another example Burnley in the in the game at Turf Moor then why won't you play him like I think in the second half he even proved that he can do a couple of things better than a lot of other players which is a he's always shown for the ball so if you want to play through the lines he's going to give you that option but b he's also more press resistant so if you give him it in tight spaces he can get out of it yeah and I think just structurally and uh, yeah it's interesting hearing you talk about maybe pushing the centre centre back up um, Jacob I think that was a suggestion from Udav but structurally in the past we've solved that problem by inverting the wing back there is that too yeah Mm. and we don't see that happening anymore and I think that the issue is that when you're playing with a back three and you're building up the way that leads build up when you're using your goalkeeper a lot you end up with essentially a dysfunctional player in the build-up in the in the center center back role um, because if you are going to use a, a central point by which to pass the ball across then you you can use the goalkeeper you don't need the center back to be there so the, the question then is what do you do with your with your center backs in in that sort of build-up situation and what we used to do as as uh, Jacob suggested was you would get ailing pushing forward and you would then have the the wing back often sort of inverting into this into the central space um and uh, allowing you a sort of a, another option in in the middle but it also does the the job of then splitting you into essentially a back i mean it's essentially a back four then with your two two of your center backs uh, as as the two center backs one of the center backs pushing forward into that into that channel uh, and the and the wing back being in, in the middle as well um and that does a few things but it, I think the the biggest thing there is that it just gives us that iteration of of of, of players that we like, which is two centre backs deeper, full backs pushed further up, and then a pivot player that you can play off in the middle. And I think that just um, that just suits us much better because, uh, as we've said, I mean, Jake has mentioned that you end up with only one eight really when you're playing with when you're playing with a, a two man midfield and one of the two men has to drop in to pivot. You then end up with one eight effectively forward, and in terms of the build up play now normally that may not be an issue because we usually build up on one side and if we go back we'll just sort of horseshoe round and then you give the eight the chance to get on the other side as well but it does as Jacob says reduce the amount of options we have to, to pass through um, further up the field so I, I feel as though we've stopped doing that and I think pushing a centre centre back forward into that pivot role and then having the two eights is an option um, did happen a little bit yesterday to be fair uh, Robin Cock did push forward a little bit in the early 
phases of the game, but it felt as though the more pressure that, that Everton were putting us under, the less likely we were to do that. And, and part of the issue there is precisely that we weren't able to possess the ball, and so we weren't able to get into that sort of structure. So it's, it's, it's a sort of um, chicken and egg situation, I think, with that one, is that maybe that was the plan. It's just that we didn't hold the ball long enough to be able to do it. So, But I would like to see that done more, and I think sometimes you just have to be bold and say, okay, we're just going to go with the two centre-backs and push the, the central one forward, use him as a pivot, and it just gives us... Uh, a little bit more of an outball. And I think that proactivity as well, um, that that has to have a bit of a knock-on effect to, to Everton's press if you do that because suddenly you've got a, a man and a line that's possibly open that wasn't before. Would you suggest that Robin Cox the best centre-back for that role, John, to push forward? Because all this is doing is making me miss Ben White a little bit, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, what what is it that you're wanting from that from that player? You are you are essentially wanting a centre back who is press resistant, and I think part of the issue is that we don't have a centre back who's particularly press resistant um, in in a central space. I think people will argue that Yorente is is pretty good, and I think Yorente is okay one on one in those wide areas. He knows how to get out of a, a sort of on rushing forward um, situation. But I think when you, as soon as you put someone in the middle and you have players pressing from different sides, I think you'd be a nightmare. I think Cock probably isn't as press resistant as you would want um, and so the issue then becomes that, that you want to have someone who is going to be able to fall in as a centre-back but also be press resistant enough to play as a defensive pivot and so that probably is the issue I think I have no problem with with Cock pushing forward there and I think that's why they played him in the middle because obviously he was like the defensive midfielder but we dropped him back because of the formation they selected but uh, let's just move on I've I've got a final question which was are there any positives to take away from that game I think I'm just going to use this time just to talk about Rodrigo because I think he was the only real positive to take away from the game and I think even that is sort of maybe scraping the barrel a bit but let's ex- extend it a little bit just to talk about Rodrigo um, because I saw Ethan from online who tweeted yesterday um, about the fact that it's weird how Rodrigo's probably looked like one of our better players in the last three fixtures, uh, but also there have been issues in each of the last three fixtures, which he reckons maybe are caused by Rodrigo. So it's, it's almost like you're in a catch-22 with him that if you play him, then you watch his games and you think, we obviously have to play this guy. He's like the most elite creator probably that we have, um, at least in terms of creating chances for other people uh, but then at the same time if you look at those three games uh, we've p- picked up one point from them um, so I'm going to yeah put, push this to you guys and just um, I'll start with you Jacob but what's your what's your take on Rodrigo at the moment and are we in the same situation that we've been in the whole time we've had him which is that we recognize he's an elite creator but it does seem to cause us problems structurally I think so I think there's a question as to whether the structural problems are all entirely the same um, because I, I note that your your reply to Ethan um, around the differences in our pressing this season and I'd be keen to ask you what what you um, what you were thinking around that but um, I, I would just add as well that I, I do think that Rodrigo does lay on some re- really good chances for people but I I do think that it can come at the expense of some of the rotations and movements that we were more accustomed to running uh, with with other players, even with Pablo in there. And the the way he plays sort of as the attack midfielder is is quite different to like um, how Click would do it, for example. And whilst I think we there were a couple of very nice potential moments that Rodrigo was involved in, like the one he slipped through to Dan James where Holgate tackled it and a couple of other little instances. I wonder whether like the 
the volume of chances that Click can help us make through moving and helping facilitate with Harrison in particular, whether whether there's perhaps more of an upside to that rather than fewer chances that may be individually better if if we aren't able to finish those. But but yeah, I, I would like to sort of ask you f- uh, to maybe develop what you were saying to Ethan last night around how we've um, how we press differently. It's, it's a funny one because I can't decide whether or not we press differently because we have Rodrigo in or if our press just isn't as successful as you might want because we have Rodrigo in. Uh, but either way, like what's changed this season, between this season and last, and, and I think part of the change is that we've seen Rodrigo a lot more this season than we did last. But it felt like as though last season we ran a fairly coherent high press which caused teams issues deep in their own half and... This season, we haven't seen that so much. What we've seen is more of, I would say, a deeper counter press, which is that often our front press gets broken. The ball goes into a, into a sort of deeper midfield area and then we counter press there and then we spring counter attacks from those sorts of situations. A lot of our goals this season have come from us winning the ball back through either the, the pivot player or... We've seen it with, I think Luke Ayling's done it a few times, players just pressing forward onto the onto their opponent when the ball has passed into the midfield area, winning the ball, driving forward and counter-attacking from those situations rather than causing a high turnover when they, they lose the ball in their build-up phase in, in, in the, in the defence. Uh, and I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that we are much less aggressive in forward areas because I think we realise that if we are aggressive, we are just allowed... I think it's just a, to combat centre-backs just waltzing through our team, which I think we've probably seen a lot less of this season than we did last season. Yeah, I would agree. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on, on the pressing side of things, but for me... What what for whatever reason this season it's felt as though our press is more engaging deeper in the field than than it is higher up and I, I don't think that's necessarily a problem to be clear but I do think that the the part of the reason why we've ended up being direct and quick and frenetic a lot of the time is because we are picking the ball up deeper and then having to attack quickly to make make the most of exploiting spaces in the opposition's build up phase. Adam, do you have any thoughts on Rodrigo? No, I agree. I agree with everything you've said, actually. Um, He's better for uh, us playing in a sort of quick transition type style, for sure. Um, I think clicks probably better as if you want to build up uh, sort of quickly through the lines, but less for counter-attacking, whereas I think Rodrigo definitely suits that that style more. I just want to give one little shout-out to Melier because I thought he, maybe not in his distribution, but in his uh, his saves, he was he was pretty good again yesterday. He was one of my, our better players for me, and I think Darren would kill one of us if we didn't actually point it out. So I thought, <laughs> I think he's worth a shout How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, I thought we were going to struggle to talk for any amount of time about the game yesterday but apparently not so um, I've once again managed to badly manage time let's move on to the bring a topic section this is the part of the show where the two guys bring a topic for us to discuss we'll start with you Jacob what did you want to talk about we hear um, quite a lot of discussion amongst the fan base around players that we're missing um, and having a, a, the impact of not having those players in, in, the, uh, in the 11. Although I personally feel the problems are more systemic and particularly were yesterday. So I guess I wanted to ask what you guys thought in terms of the impact of not having Phillips and Bamford and Junior uh, on the game yesterday. Yeah, I think we've touched on personnel improving systems a little bit, and I, I do think they improve, but to the point of which we would be drastically different within that game itself and win. Uh, I'm not sure. I do agree with you that it's definitely more of a systemic issue, uh, but having Bamford in the team, does that inarguably improve us? Of course it does. He's our best striker. He's our main goal threat. So of course it, of course it might mean we lose that game 3-1 rather than 3-0. So that's just one example. But this season, this has definitely been apparent that it's it's more of a systemic issue rather than just simply personnel. And I guess we've noticed it here and, and maybe the fan base itself still doesn't accept that because a lot of them do think, oh, we have X, Y and Z players come back. We'll be absolutely fine. You know, we'll, we'll make a push for the top 10. I've seen some people still saying, I don't agree with that. I agree with you, Jacob. It's, it's not just a simple matter of Bamford comes back, Phillips comes back and we are simply fine. Um, it's still going to be a, a, a rough and tough battle to the end of the season, whether we have those players involved or not. So yeah, I agree with you. Um, but maybe yesterday would have been slightly marginally improved. But I think more than anything, yeah, Lampard's press and... and um, uh, that and uh, uh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. But uh, yeah, losing um, the ball in in bad areas definitely was an issue yesterday. Does Phillips help that maybe a little bit? Yeah. Does Forshaw if he starts? Yes. But it might not solve it completely. Yeah, I think that's what you've got to do, right? You've got to ask the question like, what was the issue yesterday, and to what extent would each of those players have solved it? Um, so. Yeah, the issue for me was that was largely that we couldn't build up from the back. Now, I think that does raise questions about whether or not having someone like Bamford as an outball might have changed things. I think that's probably true. But uh, even if that is the case, I, th- I still think we've seen plenty of games even this season, uh, but but last season as well, where we've had Bamford as an outball in these sorts of games and it hasn't made too much of a difference to the overall scope of the game. And then in terms of building up from the back, does Phillips change that? Is Phillips that press resistant? I don't think so. Junior, I do think... I, I mean, the issue, the issue with, with the wing-backs being pressed was... was uh, noticeable, but I, I didn't. I didn't feel like necessarily Yeldet was bad on the ball. I just think that with with someone like Junior in, you've got the option of him being able to do 
fullback, wingback things better. But I, I didn't feel like we lost the ball because we had Yelde. So it was more of a more of a maybe uh, build up further down the field or, or having the out the outlet to, to be able to be able to maybe carry the ball or run into good positions. But I, I just don't think that any of those three players really would have largely changed the the scope of the game for me, which was the first half we struggled to build up. Uh, and get the ball out and retain possession, and uh, yeah, once we got to the second half, then and we and Everton did calm down a little bit, and we did change the personnel a little bit. It just sort of it just sort of felt as though they controlled the game and, and sort of eased it home in a way that I don't think any of those players really would have made a difference either. I think Firpo is an interesting one because I think he solves two issues actually. Uh, he starts. Yes, I agree with you. He could do a little bit of of the fullback wingback stuff better than basically anyone we've got really. Um, but also it might move. Dallas over to the right as a potential in the three-three-one-three as a right wing back, which would be better for us and would be better for building out the back as well. And Ailing can do more of his right centre back type stuff, so uh, that would definitely have helped as well. I think Junior's probably an interesting one because not a lot of people would have said he would be the main man to sort of fix a lot of problems, but I think he he definitely out of those three players might have actually done the most. Adam, what was your question? It's a tough one because obviously on on this podcast we're generally quite measured and quite neutral, and we try to be sort of both sides of it but there seems to be a bit of a shift in the timeline on social media uh, with regards to Bielsa and where people stand with him as a long-term option and I just wondered where you both are with that because it's not been the same this season as seasons gone by. Yeah Jacob you can take that one first. <laughs> oh yeah big one this. Um, firstly I certainly don't think we should remove Bielsa mid-season. I, I don't think that we're likely to get much more out of a um, out of a, another manager with another approach, um, and I also don't think that we we've necessarily lost a huge amount of buy-in from the players, and so I would worry about an impact on them if if there was a change like that. Now, going forward, I'd say there are there are several core issues that I want to see the club, um, and, I, and I say the club here, so not just Bielsa, but the club in in some manner resolve. And I talk, here I would talk about the, the continued reliance on a core of largely older players, uh, poor recruitment, scattergun ways of involving some of the younger players, and then a couple of various tactical bits as well. I would say if Bielsa is, can, can commit and can be part of making changes in these areas, then I would be happy to see him carry on because I, I, it's, uh, my issue isn't with Bielsa, my issue is with things that we're doing. But if if he isn't able to be part of that, then I think the club seriously need to consider if operating in the same way is sustainable for us to continue to progress. Um, right now, I'm struggling to see evidence that we would make those changes. But I mean, obviously, I'm not part of internal discussions or anything. But I think that's sort of where where I I fall down. I think we need to make some changes to how we're doing things, and those have to come highest. Um, if B- if Bielsa can do them, he can stay. But if he can't, we need to we need to talk about it. Yeah, I largely agree with that. I think the issue for me is not the on field stuff; it's the it's the off field stuff. And I guess if you the, the way that I've liked to depict this in terms of in in terms of pictorially is just imagining a graph where where you where with with time with Bielsa you start off with really high performance, which is what we've seen, and that slowly drops off as as the squad gets worse. So if you imagine the a, a sort of line starting off high and then dropping low, and then with the squad starting off low and and, and going high as the squad gets worse, and you sort of, for me, you sort of have to pick the moment where those two lines intersect and say, 
this is uh, from this point onwards we're starting to see a net negative and i think we have to be aware that that's probably a, a smart way of thinking and um that's certainly i think what the club have been doing this season from from the noises that have been coming out from it. i think they've decided we've got to that point of of moving from a net positive to a net negative in terms of not not in terms of overall because i don't think anyone would argue that but just in terms of where we're at at the moment as jacob suggested having bielsa at the moment is probably a net negative unless things change and um i think the, the club are, are becoming aware of that so yeah i think it's just it's part and parcel of what is going to happen i think if you have bielsa there's been these underlying issues the whole time with Bielsa in terms of the off the field stuff and when the on the field stuff has been fine we've just grinned and borne it because that's what you do but I think the the issue is going to come now that now that the on field stuff has sort of started to shake and, and, and wobble a little bit the club are now going to be in a much more uh, are they going to be much more amenable to the idea of thinking right let's start thinking about successors let's start thinking about bringing someone else in personally I, I'm I'm pretty zen about it again I think we'll get to the season the end of the season and we'll stay up I think if we keep him around another season I think we'll have another season like this uh, I don't think we'll suddenly fix all of those problems through a really good season of, of summer recruitment I think there will be issues that continue so yeah for me I would like to see I would be okay to seeing seeing a new manager being brought in because I want to see something that's different to what we've seen this season but at the same time I'm not I'm not I, I, I value what Bielsa has done and does uh, and so I'm sort of willing to to allow that a little bit but I think for us as well it's difficult because we're we we obviously cover in such minute details what happens on the field that it it becomes hard work when you see the same problems being iterated over and over and over again and nothing changes so I think sometimes people think that we're maybe a little bit negative about Bielsa but I think that is the reason why that we can see these problems sort of constantly being done and and nothing being done really to address them so uh, I think if people could bear with us with that as a caveat as well that'd be nice but what's what's your take on this Adam? Well, I, I've also got a sort of a tangent question now from what you both said. So, Jacob, you said you would keep him now till the end of the season. And even though we're all in agreement that we think we're probably going to be fine still, I think. <laughs> um, I also wanted to say, like, what do you think we should do differently in the latter stages of the season, both of you? Do you think we should go potentially a little bit more zonal? Um, I know I've bashed on about this, so has Josh quite a lot um but we did it at the end of last season a little bit more where dallas was sort of a free man to be a bit more zonal and do you think we should go back to something like that maybe to just scrape through some more games and to get the points together that we need i think i think it's something we could do but as we may touch on later i kind of think that there are teams that are just that bit worse than us that even if we carried on as we are we'll probably be fine yeah that's what I think as well, to be honest. What about you, John? To a certain extent, I kind of feel like we have been more zonal this season with the marking. I feel as though we are much less likely to commit forward to a high press. Um, and we do see players sort of sitting between a couple of options rather than just having a single man marking option. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's just not worked as well this season. Um, and I, I don't think we'll ever see him go to a proper zonal system um, for, for, for whatever reason. And to be honest with you, I don't think... I think it would be worse if we did that. I think we I genuinely think we get a fairly decent edge from our team playing the way that we do because a lot of clubs don't aren't able to play against it. Um, so I do think that... that were we to switch from being this this sort of aggressive pressing team man to man to a zonal system, we would probably be we would end up playing more to the level of where Norwich and Watford and and Burnley are at 
than than where we are now. I do think we get that that edge, and and that's because we do have counter attacking players. So that if you sort of just pressure teams, turn the ball over quickly, and just try and benefit from the chaos, we have players like Rafinha, we have players like Dan James in theory, we have players like Rodrigo, all and Bamford, all of whom should be able to maybe make more of those sorts of opportunities than if we were to sort of slowly build up patiently and try and break teams down. So yeah, that would be my answer to that. Okay. So you uh, talked about net positive and net negative, and I think the the long term problems, like you said, off the pitch stuff with regards to squad size, squad churn, and his loyalty to sort of aging, declining players. I think that yesterday sort of confirmed to me that we need to sort of be a bit more ruthless and gut this squad a little bit. Um, and by that I mean sell some players, but also just drop some of the the old guard that have been you know heroes for a lot of us and particularly me at my age you know a lot of these guys have given me some of the best memories but I think it is time to sort of realize when it's best to to drop them to the bench I don't want to say put the dog down because that's awful but you know put put them on the bench and, and sort of have them still within the squad but not not as sort of important figures maybe more important figures off the pitch but uh, they're more periphery to the first team in terms of of minutes that would probably be my take and I don't think Bielsa will do that and that's one problem because I think long term that might be an issue next season I think it would also ruin his reputation if he was to take us down I think it would be better for us if he was to leave in the summer with his reputation still intact having not taken us down and most people can send him off as a hero that's probably where I would be now rather than potentially ruin it next season if it all went wrong so yeah I think we should move on because, yeah, time has completely flown. So we'll just do one listener question. We had a question from Will Clay who said, how confident are you guys that there are three teams worse than us? So who wants to attack this? How confident are you guys? Yeah, I'm pretty confident. I think there are at least three. I think Brentford are dropping like a stone at the moment. I think Watford and Norwich and Burnley are still pretty bad. I think Newcastle might finish above us now because they have had that sort of bounce, but there's a very good chance that they could also finish below us. So that's potentially up to five teams that I could see as finishing above but I think at least three is is probable even though yesterday I did have a bit of a meltdown I am now at the point where yeah no I do agree with that I, I would tend to agree with that as well I I think that we are buffed by having a a, a points cushion of a couple of games um already and e- even if results aren't uh, as positive as we would like them for our team the the other teams are are consistently playing with problems as well, and getting two wins more than us is is it would represent a, a reasonable imp- improvement on performances for those teams in the second half of the season. And I mean, I I don't know the ins and outs of those teams anywhere near as well, but I I guess I would be kind of surprised if those teams did didn't manage to do that. And so I think that we've given ourselves a, a good cushion with that, and we, we do pull results out sometimes, even this season. Um, we we have been able to get late goals and particularly with Rafinha's ability to just get something out of nothing. So I I do think that we'll continue to pick up points and I'm I'm not concerned really. Yeah, I did a little bit of number crunching this morning just because I don't think a lot of people realise that the issue is it's a rate of change issue, right? Leeds don't need to be better than the teams below them. They just simply need to stay ahead of them on points as things are. So the the question is, at at what rate 
do the other teams need to perform at in order to overtake Leeds? So the best way of doing this, I think, is just looking at points per game. So Leeds currently 23 points in 23 games, which is one point per game. The three teams in the relegation zone are all on much worse points per game. So Burnley, for example, 14 points in 20 games. That puts them on 0.7 points per game. If we project Leeds to carry on at one point per game for the rest of the season, that will put them obviously on 38 points. To hit 38 points, Burnley would need to get 1.33 points per game for their remaining 18 games, which is basically double the rate that they're at so far. So you'd have to see them putting up performances that, that give them twice as many uh, as many points. Norwich are the same. They're on 0.7 points per game so far, but they only have 14 games left. Um, so this basically means they'd have to win every other game to get 1.5 points per game for the rest of the, the season. Uh, Watford are in the same, same sort of boat. They need to get 1.5 points per game to get to 38 points. Now, of course, people will argue, well, maybe Leeds will drop off and they won't get one point per game for the rest of the season, which, I, I mean, I think, yeah, you could argue that, but... Uh, even if we drop down to like 0.8 points per game, that would get us 35 points. We're already on 23 points. And at the current rates that they're going at, Watford are expected to get 25 points, which is only two points more than what we're on now. And Norwich and Burnley are only expected to get 27 points. And both of these are rounding up. So, you know, that give or take a point either way. Um, so if you consider the fact that we're two points off what Watford are currently on as a projection and um, four points off what Burnley are on, at a projection, the suggestion is that even even a fairly poor finish to the season would see Leeds finish ahead of those those three teams. So, the question I think goes beyond sort of like, are there three teams worse than us? I think that's debatable. We can talk about like where we're at. I personally think that we're better than those those three teams at the bottom, but the maths just stacks us in massive odds favours um, because yeah, it's not about. It's not about us having to fall away. It's about the other teams having to perform really well as well to get to that sort of level as well. So hopefully that will be comforting to people at the end of this podcast about a fairly miserable game. I'm going to skip the rest of the running order because we have just run out of time. We will be running a preview podcast this week. Uh, looking forward to the Manchester United game. Probably best for us not to think about it right now. But I will be speaking to Maram Albahana about Manchester United and then we will have an episode uh, where we chat about uh, what she said and looking forward to what will happen in that game. Uh, and that will be going out on our Patreon, which is www.patreon.com forward slash all stats, aren't we? Uh, and I should also say there will be other video content going out on that feed at some point this week as well. So do check out our Patreon. But that brings us to the end of the podcast. And all there is for me to do is just thank, thank you to Jacob for coming on. Cheers, John. Thank you to Adam. Thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you very shortly. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 